This has been a political football since day one. The divisive issue of policing in Surrey now back in the hands of the province as Surrey's mayor forges on with keeping the RCMP in Surrey. Plus. Dramatic takedown in North Vancouver, the hours-long standoff that required flashbangs, canines and drones to bring an armed suspect into custody. And... We're dancing for the grandfather, the uncle, the brother, you know, the nephew. Communities across BC celebrating fathers and father figures. The powwow festivities singing praise to all dads this special weekend. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Julie is off tonight. When it comes to policing in Surrey, the ball is firmly back at the court of the provincial government. A day after Mayor Brenda Locke announced City Council had voted to stay with the RCMP as the police of jurisdiction. But what are taxpaying citizens saying about the lack of a final decision? Julia Foy went to find out. Children and youth were dropping and grinding at the Cloverdale Skate Park Saturday as part of JK All Day, an anti-bullying event. Surrey RCMP members were along to help. The liaison officers, the ones that deal with the high schools and stuff, they come and hang out for the day and they're here to talk to kids as well. It's held in memory of Jamie Kehoe, who was killed on a bus 12 years ago and Ethan Bestplug, who was also attacked and died on a bus just two months ago. It's a nice thing to be a part of, and I hope that there's something to take away from it for anti-bullying and youth violence. So, yeah, it's, it's bittersweet. Between the burgers and the borders, we wanted to ask the public about Surrey Mayor Brenda Locke's announcement Friday that the RCMP are here to stay. I spoke at length with the RCMP commanding officer for British Columbia and the officer in charge of Surrey Detachment, and both have assured me that they can, they will, and are already in the process of meeting the obligations that the dissolution of the SPS places upon them. I do feel that RCMP is the way to go. We have a big force, they've been trained, and they've built that relationship with our community. Honestly, it doesn't really matter to me as long as there's people out there policing and doing their job. If you're a city police officer that is working just directly for your city and not the whole country like the RCMP, you focus more on the problems within your communities. The debate between choosing either the Surrey Police Service or stay with the RCMP has been raging for months. Many just want the fighting to end. The Board of Trade is very pleased that the city of Surrey has decided to retain the Surrey RCMP. If we move back to this traditional paradigm of policing, we are going to be caught up in something that we may not be able to get out of for generations. Mayor Locke kicked the football back to the Solicitor General's office. So now this is for Mike Farnsworth to decide on. He hasn't given us any timelines. Of back of the skate park, their focus is on keeping the peace for the next generation. Maybe we can take a little bit of that pain away and inspire others, other, other youth, other you know, families to come together and just, you know, spread love. Julia Foy, Global News. And former Mayor Diane Watts says it's time for council to put the matter of Surrey policing to rest. 
She says the issue is clearly dividing the community, but Mayor Brenda Law campaigned on the issue just as her opponent did. Watt says once this issue is put to bed, council can focus on other pressing issues in the growing city, such as overcrowding at Surrey Memorial Hospital. Clearly, we can see that there are some significant needs uh, within the city of Surrey, and I think that those have to be addressed. And so when you look at how long that the situation around the policing issue has been, uh, you know, just dragged out, and most certainly it needs to come to an end, we need to move forward. And there's a lot of issues in this city that really do need to be addressed. And most certainly, as I just stated, our education system, as well as our uh, health care system really need uh, some infrastructure and they really need some attention paid to those issues. Watts also points to schools as needing attention. The Surrey School Board recently announced plans to double stack portables as a way of dealing with overcrowding. Well, it may seem a bit hard to believe given that we're on the verge of summer, but there's a chance of snow falling in parts of B.C. starting this weekend. Check out these snowy photos taken back in 2018 in the Okanagan almost at this exact time of year. Environment Canada has issued a special weather statement about possible snowfall warning for higher elevations. And here is meteorologist Yvonne Shaw with more on where we could see the snow, Yvonne. <laughs> Thanks, Krista. Yeah, just a few days. We're on the heels of summer. Officially, the summer solstice will be on Wednesday. But first, we've got to get through this blip in the forecast. We've got a low that's moving in, and this weather maker is going to bring lots of instability. It's going to drop the snow level and bring precipitation. We've got the ingredients. So for higher elevations as early as tomorrow morning and continuing in towards Tuesday morning, that's we'll see the potential for snow. It'll be for higher elevations if you're traveling along the mountain passes so something to keep in mind, we could see slippery road conditions. And the following areas along Highway 3 for the Allison Pass, Coquihalla from Hope to Merritt, as well as Merritt to Kamloops, and the connector will be included within that. Snow level sitting closer to 1,400 metres. This continues in towards Tuesday morning. Once we get past that, I'll have your forecast for summer solstice coming up very shortly. Krista. Mm -hmm. Wow, snow. Hey, thanks, Yvonne. <laughs> we'll check back in later. Now to the BC wildfire fight. The BC Wildfire Service says it has successfully carried out a planned burn near the community of Trutch. They completed the burn yesterday where the Donny Creek wildfire has burned to within two kilometers of the Alaska Highway. Travelers on the highway will likely see thick smoke and are advised to be cautious. The fire continues to burn out of control north of Fort St. John. It's estimated at more than 5,200 square kilometers and could soon rank as the largest fire in BC history. In the South Peace, the Peavine Creek and West Kiskatinaw River fires continue to burn out of control. Both were caused by lightning last week. Together, they cover almost 30,000 hectares. Crews continue to mop up the western flank, but expected strong winds to push the fire to the east this weekend. The wildfire service says smoke may be visible within the fire's perimeter in the coming weeks. We're still continuing to work uh, the fire's edge. And good news on Vancouver Island. The Cameron Bluffs fire is now classified as being held. That means it's not expected to grow beyond its current boundaries. The fire covers 229 hectares right down to Highway 4, which remains closed east of Port Alberni. The highway is not expected to open for another week, and even then only to single-lane traffic. The road's full opening is not expected until mid-July. 
RCMP now say a third person has died after two people were found dead inside a home in Kelowna's, Kelowna's upper mission last week. Last Thursday night, police were called to a home in the 400 block of Swan Drive where they discovered the bodies of two females. Police are now calling it a double homicide and now a third person who was found at the scene is in critical condition, has now died as a result of their injuries. Both police and the BC coroner service are continuing to investigate, but RCMP say there are no suspects in this case and that there's no risk to the public. Early morning chaos in North Vancouver ended with the arrest of a break and enter suspect. Just before 6 o'clock this morning, police cordoned off West 15th Street between Lonsdale and Chesterfield Avenue. Police say the suspect broke into multiple buildings in the 100 block of West 15th. The suspect was confronted by a security guard and allegedly pulled out a weapon. He then barricaded himself in the ceiling of a vacant building where the emergency response team arrested him. Canine units, drones and robots were also deployed at the scene. He was confronted by the security guard and he pulled up a weapon to the security guard. So we knew he was armed. So that's why we got uh, ERT. ERT was able to arrest him safely and he's going to jail. Fort St. John RCMP are investigating a break and enter at the local high school and the suspects were captured on camera. It happened on June 10th at North Peace Secondary School. Surveillance shows three, three suspects who police believe are students entering around 3.25 a.m. using their arms to shield their faces. Police say the trio smashed a glass window at the teacher's entrance, then broke doors and smashed windows inside the school and principal's offices, causing major damage. The first suspect, a male youth, had a distinct orange and yellow spotted backpack. The second suspect, a female youth, was wearing red Nike runners and may have longer blonde hair. The third suspect, a slender male youth, was wearing a black hoodie with the words cocaine and caviar on the back. June 17th is now known as Vancouver Beautification Day and more than 100 volunteers launched the initiative today. Local business, business associations and policing centers led the community effort to combat graffiti vandalism. Kristen Robinson reports. The mayor proclaimed it on June 13th, and four days later, the paint came out. Dozens of volunteers across the city marking the first Vancouver Beautification Day. It is important. Vandalism is a crime, and it, it's just, it's just, it's an, an annoying to be uh, to be having to clean up after. Uh, people who are causing this kind of trouble. I find it really helpful for a lot of businesses that are struggling with the property damage and vandalism incidents that happen with them. So it is an important job for me. The day is a call to action, says Councillor Mike Klassen. Residents and businesses invited to help remove vandalism from public and private property while fostering civic pride. It really has a huge impact when it comes to public safety, we know that it reduces crime in the neighborhoods, makes people like seniors feel more at home in their community. So this is a, a really big community-led effort. And it affects everyone's sort of view of their neighborhood. And you know, we all live here. 
Vancouver saw a 70% spike in nuisance graffiti reports to 311 during the COVID-19 pandemic. Nothing was sacred in Mount Pleasant, where the BIA reported a more than 100% increase in unwanted tagging. We all use these areas, and you know it's really unfair that you know a couple of people end up ruining it for everyone. Do you think that criminals will recognize this day and say, I won't do any vandalism on June 17th? I don't know if they'll recognize the day as the day not to do vandalism. I would hope that they'd recognize that maybe just people are getting tired of it. Klassen says they're working with police who will be monitoring these areas for the coming weeks. A lot of this stuff, it's, it's against the law. It's really important. You do it once, you come back, you do it again, but eventually uh, the walls remain clear. So this is a good message to show those that if you continue to do this, we're going to be here. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Abbotsford police issued a 90-day immediate roadside prohibition to a driver they say admitted to making their child blow into their vehicle's ignition interlock system. It happened during a proactive traffic stop Wednesday night near Marshall and Clearbrook Roads. Police impounded the vehicle and the Ministry of Children and Family Development was also advised. An ignition interlock is a device wired to a vehicle's ignition. The driver must provide an alcohol-free breath sample to start the vehicle. In this case, the driver's kid allegedly provide, provided the breath sample. TD Bank customers say an issue recently affecting direct deposit payments also impacted access to lawyer trust accounts. Real estate advisor Eric Nygaard says he was unable to complete a home purchase for a client on Friday because the TD issue would not allow him to access his lawyer's trust accounts. This meant they were unable to issue a bank draft to close the purchase. Nygaard says this left him and his client scrambling to make arrangements to store her belongings and potentially put her up in a motel before they were able to extend the closing date by a day. The reality is this shouldn't happen. And if it does happen, they should be able to communicate what the problem is, how long it might be before the problem's resolved, so that all the people in all of these state transactions have some time and ability to juggle and coordinate with all the people involved in a transaction, from lawyers to notaries to moving companies to cleaners to the other realtors, etc. There's a lot of moving parts in a real estate transaction. Nygaard says TD was back online this morning and was able to complete his client's home purchase. TD previously said direct deposit payments to some customers were delayed Friday due to a known issue and any fees charged to customers as a result of misdirect deposits would be refunded after the issue was resolved. A new Westminster school trustee is facing calls to resign after she admitted to running a secret Twitter account used to harass people. Dee Beatty has taken a medical leave of absence and agreed to cooperate with a code of conduct review. On Wednesday, New West parent Sarah Arboleta wrote a Twitter thread accusing Beatty of running a secret account under the name Alan Witterstone. That account's post said Arboleta was whining for raising concerns about portables and privileged for accessing daycare. Another post called her husband a typical tradesman bully. The account also called the former teachers union president a fear monger for expressing concerns about how long it took for masks to be mandated in schools in 2021. 
Arboleta suspected Beatty was behind the account after a post revealed her location, which lined up with her home address. I was I was expecting that I was going to find out that this was somebody's brother, husband, uh, you know, sister, uncle, aunt, whatever. I thought it was going to be somebody close to the board who who was maybe taking this a little too far. Truly, I never in a million years thought this was going to be a school board trustee mocking parents of toddlers. The new West School Board released a statement Friday re requesting Beattie resign immediately. In a statement, Beattie apologized for her actions and said she'd been experiencing worsening physical and mental health issues, but didn't say if she'd resign. Victoria police are asking for the public's help to reunite several pieces of Indigenous art with their rightful owners. Vic PD officers recovered these indigenous carvings and masks while they were assisting bylaw officers in the 900 block of Pandora Avenue Thursday morning. Police believe the items may have been stolen during a recent break-in. Officers say they ensured the artwork was handled in a culturally sensitive manner. If you know who these items belong to, you're asked to contact Victoria Police. Still to come, the long road to recovery for victims in the Manitoba bus crash. Six of them are in critical care, uh, receiving um, life-saving support. What we're learning about the fatal crash and how the families themselves are navigating through this devastating tragedy. Plus, recognizing dads of all types this weekend with special song and dance, the powwow celebrations still to come. The community of Dauphin, Manitoba is collectively in mourning after a bus crash claimed the lives of more than a dozen people. Six others on that bus are still in hospital tonight. It's expected the road to recovery will be a long one. As Mike Drolet reports, as they begin their physical healing, Manitobans are beginning to grapple with the magnitude of this tragedy. Outside Winnipeg's Health Sciences Centre, family and friends of the surviving victims of the tragic Trans-Canada Highway crash speak in hushed tones, if they're able to speak at all through their grief. With so much uncertainty around prognoses, they don't know what to say. The horrors of Thursday's crash continue to cast a long shadow over Manitoba. Most of the survivors, all seniors, were ejected from the bus onto the highway after it was hit by the semi-truck. Uh, these are quite extensive injuries. Like I said, six of them are in critical care, uh, receiving um, life-saving support. Um, many orthopedic injuries, as you can imagine, and uh, some others as well, but uh, predominance of orthopedic injuries. Although police have said the semi had the right-of-way, determining all the contributing factors won't be easy. Investigators have said they need to know more about the condition of the vehicles and how fast they were going. The question that we're more interested in is going to be, uh, did they, the bus driver attempt to cross both directions of travel at once, or did they come to a stop and yield in between the lanes uh, before proceeding? Lloyd Clausen, who has driven trucks for over 40 years, knows the Carberry intersection well. Oh, a number of, oh, so many times. Clausen says as soon as the bus entered the path of the semi, there was no avoiding a crash. If this truck would have been a car, car, the, the car would have come to a quick stop, but you can't come to a quick stop with an 18-wheeler. Not with a Super B. I drive a Super B. And you're looking at 130, 40,000 pounds at 110 kilometers an hour. How can you stop? Sadly, the answer to that question played out for all to see. 
even the most hardened to accidents, like tow truck operator Robin Watton, are having a hard time processing this one. I've seen stuff that kind of turned my stomach. And just like the families of the victims in hospital, he can't say any more than that. Mike Trelay, Global News, Winnipeg. Still to come, saying sayonara to Sunwing. The travel airline set to be grounded permanently as WestJet plans to absorb the low-budget air carrier plus. The crucial role dads play in their children's lives when it comes to breastfeeding. A new study that reveals what made the biggest difference. Stay with us. More than a month since WestJet finalized its takeover of Sunwing, it's shutting the airline down. WestJet is planning to merge the air carrier with its mainline business within two years. An internal memo sent to Sunwing employees says it will be absorbed in a similar fashion to Swoop. Swoop is expected to be merged into WestJet's operations by October 28th. In Edmonton, the organizer of a Pride Corner says she's had to scale back her activism because of constant legal threats. Morgan Black explains. She's loud and proud on White Avenue's Pride Corner, but Claire Perrins had to quiet her activism elsewhere. Three restraining orders have been filed against her since October. It's definitely affected our pop-up protests during the week. We have been unable to protest um, during, during the days and as we have in the past. She's been protesting street preachers. Activists and the preachers have often been at the same place and argued opposing views. Two of the preachers have filed restraining orders against Perrin. The most recent alleges Perrin harassed applicant Olga Podgornaja by screaming and behaving aggressively toward her downtown. Perrin believes this is a coordinated effort to curb her activism. I believe it's a, it's a gross misuse of the, of the justice system. Two orders have already been dismissed, although one remains. In court Monday, the applicant denied she is being hateful toward the LGBTQ2S plus community. Padgornaja didn't want to do an on-camera interview, but she told Global News the legal action is not a tactic to silence the community and believes the dismissal of her first restraining order was an error. It's not hate to them when they say these things, but rather it's a reflection of their religious beliefs. Um, that was their position that they advanced to the court. The matter has been put over until July. And that means Perrin will still be unable to engage in pop-up protests downtown, where Podgornaja preaches nearby. It really sent uh, a chill to Pride Corner organizers, but also effectively silenced them because uh, they didn't want to risk the, the prospect of jail in order to engage in their protests. Pride Corner on White remains active. Perrin says the applicant doesn't preach in the area. On Friday, she hit the streets as loud as ever. We will still continue to come out and, and fight for, for community and dance and celebrate our, our own identities. Morgan Black, Global News. Just in time for Father's Day, we're learning more about the vital role dads play in the first weeks and months of their children's lives. A study found dads make a big difference when it comes to whether their kids can breastfeed. Catherine Ward explains. Breastfeeding is really hard. Dr. John James Parker says achieving success is much more likely when parents work as a team. Fathers need to be an emotional support and a cheerleader for mothers. They need to tell moms how proud they are for moms and listen to their concerns. New data from the U.S. explains how influential dads can be. And when you focus in on that eight weeks time period, 
we saw that um, infants were more than twice as likely to be breastfeeding if their father wanted their infant to breastfeed. Anna Gabu knows a thing or two about breastfeeding. She's a mom of six. When they were young, breastfeeding was critical. There was no money for formula and there was no money for anything else. So it was what needed to happen. Anna says her husband, John, played a key role. He brought me water when I needed water. He got, you know, what he, what was needed in the middle of the night so that I didn't have to get out of bed. But in Canada, not everyone has that experience of support, and many people choose not to continue breastfeeding. 15% of Canadians who started breastfeeding in 2022 stopped in less than one month. Another 22% stopped by six months. And there are lots of reasons, including not enough milk, difficulty, inconvenience and fatigue, and medical conditions. Lactation consultants say there are practical ways partners can help. Just being prepared, you know, to watch for the timing of when the feeding is happening and then to sort of jump in and, you know, scoop the baby up, change the diaper and bring the baby back to mom is really helpful. Just because you're not the one physically feeding the baby doesn't mean you're not a, a vital role in caring for the baby. Catherine Ward, Global News, Toronto. But just after the break, celebrating 30 years of track magic, how an unleashed city work site became the home of Burnaby's Central Miniature Railway. We take you to Confederation Park next. You're watching Global BC. Train enthusiasts of all shapes and sizes were out this afternoon in Burnaby. The unmistakable sound of steam power pulling a load of happy passengers at Confederation Park. The Burnaby Central Miniature Railway is celebrating its 30th year. Train lovers from across B.C. as well as Washington and Oregon gathered to mark the occasion. The Burnaby Central Railway opened on Canada Day 1993 after the B.C. Society of Model Engineers convinced Burnaby City Council to let them have a permanent site in Confederation Park. People come and they bring their children for train rides because it's known as a kiddie train ride. But actually, the adults, particularly the older people, absolutely love the trains, particularly if we have a steam engine on the line. I don't think that this could happen today, given... Uh you know, the different things that have happened in the world since that time. But what a fabulous addition to our community and, and to the Lower Mainland's community, really. The success of the Burnaby train is in stark contrast to the Park Steam train, which can, remains closed after it was shut down last fall due to what the Park Board said were mechanical issues. Now, Yvonne, uh, meteorologist Yvonne Shao now in. And you were there at the Stanley Park train, actually, hey? At Confederation, yes, in Burnaby. It was beautiful today. The rain held off, which was great news. Uh, thank you so much, Krista. Great to have you on the show this evening. We are going to see a bit of instability. And yes, the potential for some wet snow if you're traveling along high, higher elevations. 19 right now, there is a bit of a breeze for areas that are closer to the water. We're seeing gusts of up to 30 kilometers per hour. And that'll continue as we get in towards tomorrow. Here's a quick snapshot of 
few other numbers across the province. Kamloops up to 24, the northeastern corners for the piece at 17, and areas near Victoria today getting up to 14 degrees. So far, the hot spot today was in Castlegar, 27.2 as a daytime high. Now, the weather story that we're following overnight and for tomorrow morning, cloud cover with a chance for some showers, hoping to see a few more breaks as we get in through the afternoon, but there is still a bit of instability to round off our weekend and for Father's Day. Now, if you're traveling along the mountain passes once again, higher elevations, this is where we're seeing the potential for some snowfall continuing in towards Tuesday morning. Snow levels sitting closer to 1,400 meters. We've got a weather maker moving in, so the ingredients are there. Highway 3, Allison Pass, along the Coquihalla, Hope to Merritt, as well as Merritt to Kamloops, and the connector is where we're looking at the potential for some wet snow. Once we get past that, we'll be into summer, and I'll have that coming up in just a moment. Now, the northern half of the province along the coast, 15 as the high. Instability for the peace tomorrow will give us that risk of a thunderstorm. Heavier rainfall for the central interior and instability right across the southern interior, including the Columbian Kootenai, where we are looking at that risk of a thunderstorm. Kamloops tomorrow up to 20. Thunderstorms possible near Whistler and inland across the island. We could even see that along the Sunshine Coast and for Port Alberni. Victoria tomorrow, isolated showers 17 as the high and we are going to be seeing a bit of a blip in the forecast for tomorrow and then into early next week Monday Tuesday showers it'll be cooler on Monday highs just up to 14 average for this time of the year sits at 20 degrees summer solstice longest day so far will be on Wednesday hoping to see some sunshine will officially welcome summer in the morning at 1057 first full day on Thursday so far a mix of sun and cloud and a high of 21 Krista thanks Yvonne well, if you enjoy or are curious about South Asian music, Surrey is the place to be this weekend. Surrey Civic Plaza is hosting the 6th annual 5X Fest. Performers including local DJs as well as up-and-coming and established artists from across this country are being showcased along with numerous vendors and art installations. The event is meant to highlight and elevate local South Asian youth culture. Surrey is the epicenter for global impact when it comes to South Asian music. There are artists and producers from Surrey that are making waves across the world and hitting millions and millions of streams on Spotify. Um, and we're really one of the only music festivals that really champion South Asian youth culture and bring those artists to the young people of Surrey. And the event runs until 9.30 tonight. Mm. Great to have you guys, Barry. Yeah. Nice to have you. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> uh, lots of, it's a big weekend for music lovers, hey? Mm -hmm. Well, uh, maybe LL Cool J will show up there <laughs> later. The, game, the Lions game yeah. should be over by then, but that was the big attraction. Uh, last year they had, uh, who did they have last year? One Republic, what? I think, was here last yeah, year. Yeah, big and, one. Yeah, and big this one. year, LL Cool J. So the new owner, Amar Doman, trying to get the crowd in, mm -hmm. and the Lions uh, are doing pretty well so far. They are uh, up the last we checked against the uh, Edmonton Elks. We'll have highlights of that coming up and some LL Cool J, of course. I'm not sure if there's really any way I can sound cool by saying LL Cool J because everyone knows, you know, that that's not that's, <laughs> no, that's not the no, case. You're, you're, you're cool. You're yeah. I, I mean, I've you're heard cool of LL Dad. Cool J. I know him more as an actor. He's obviously a great rapper and legendary. But yeah. uh, the Lions were excited, and they got a lot of fans out. So that's the whole there idea. There you go. Can't wait to hear <laughs> okay. what he has to say. That's his leader in sports. Thanks, Barry. Well, still ahead, the shift to get rid of that old dashboard. How some automakers are upping their game when it comes to touchscreens while finding the middle ground between design and distraction.
All your local news. All your breaking news. All the news you need. Get it at 6. Global News Hour at 6. Many new vehicles rolling off the assembly line these days have eliminated the traditional dashboards and replaced them with high-tech touchscreens. That technological shift has automakers trying to find a balance between driver engagement and distraction. The 2023 Cadillac Lyric EV comes with a glimpse of the future, what General Motors calls its new cockpit experience. And if it feels a bit like a video game, that's because it was designed by gamers. Historically, the exterior was really what made or broke a vehicle. But now it's the combination of the exterior and the interior. It's the digital experience is a big part of that. So the Mike Hishmi leads GM's uh, cockpit experience team. You guys have kind of gamified that experience. Gaming has really influenced the design of not just the digital content that you see on the screens. A lot of the controls, like the steering wheel controls, are inspired by uh, video game controllers. The upcoming Cadillac Celestic EV won't have a traditional dashboard at all. Instead, a video wall that stretches across the front cabin, similar to this Mercedes EV. And the new Ford Mustang screens will be powered by the same system used to develop the popular video game Fortnite. It's the brain of the car. It's the only way that you can communicate with the driver. Marty Romances runs San Francisco-based Territory Studio, a design firm with its roots in video games and big-budget movies that design the user experience for the Lyric. Cars need the same things that we do for movies and games, which is telling a very complex story in a visual language, in a way that everyone can understand what's happening. There's this delicate balance. Where Kelly Funkhauser from our partners at Consumer Reports has reviewed some of the new display-heavy vehicles. We're really concerned about the drawing driver's attention away from the road and putting it onto those screens. We want to ensure that the driver is engaged in the driving task. GM says it tests for distractions before the screens ever hit the road. Chris Van Cleve, CBS News, Detroit. Still to come, the BC Lions open their home game with a special guest. You got your hands in the air from side to side. Now sing. Rapper LL Cool J setting up the jams for tonight's home opener. Barry DeLay has all your hype highlights next in sports. Global BC Community Hub. Promote your event. Share your story. Build your community. Global BC Community Hub. Bringing your worlds together. Come face to face with one of the world's most famous predators. At the Royal BC Museum, experience the life of Sue, the most complete and best preserved Tyrannosaurus Rex ever found. Don't miss out on learning how Sue survived their challenging and dangerous world. Don't miss Ain't Too Proud, The Life and Times of the Temptations, an electrifying musical that follows the Temptations' extraordinary journey from the streets of Detroit to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. For RBC, I'm Michael Newman. Global BC Community Hub. Promote your event, build your community. Global BC Community Hub, bringing your worlds together. 
Barry DeLay is in now with sports. Barry, a big concert ahead of the home opener yet mm -hmm. again, hey? Yeah, it's actually the good times have been <laughs> rolling since about, uh, well, downtown all afternoon, really. It started with LL Cool J. It hasn't stopped. All right. Nice. Thanks, Krista. The uh, Lions had a big party before their home opener this afternoon with an LL Cool J concert that helped bring 30,000-plus fans to BC Place. The Lions were hoping to keep the party going against the Edmonton Elks, a team they outscored 105-29 to in two home games last season, but Nathan Rourke was responsible for most of those points. To get you in the mood, we present to you the legendary LL Cool J. Hell, LL Cool J is hard as hell. Tell anybody, I don't care, you tell. I excel, they all fail. Gonna crack tell, triple L must crack a How couldn't you be pumped up after uh, watching that performance? Over 30,000 at BC Place, a chance for the Lions to get some new fans. First play, Gary Peters picks off Elks quarterback Taylor Cornelius, but Peters got flagged for pass interference, so the pick wiped out. Vernon, Vernon Adams Jr. was great in the opener last week in Calgary, but the Elks making life a little harder for Adams uh, in the opening drive here. He is sacked, and it remains scoreless late in the first quarter. Lions defense, though, also making life tough for Elks quarterback Taylor Cornelius. He's sacked here, throws it away late, but called for intentional grounding. So basically a sack. Josh Woods got to him, and that would lead to the first big play of the game, and it's punt returner uh, Terry Williams. Lions special teams were not great last year until Williams came in, takes this one to the outside, a 44-yard return. That flips the field for the Lions, who are in Elks territory. LL Cool J getting a Lions helmet from Lions owner Amar Doman. And you got to really love Doman now. He's making sure the Lions and their fans have uh, all the great entertainment they can watch. Meanwhile, Vernon Adams going for Aiden Aberhart. Looked like a good catch, but he pinned it against the turf. Not a touchdown, but the Lions got a field goal and led 3-0. Later, Adams going deep, but picked off by Ed Ganey. And he's got a big return going, but the Lions force a fumble. Punched out nicely by Javon Katoy. Lions recover a wild sequence there, but BC gets the ball back. Edmonton would have been in scoring position. Lions didn't find the end zone in the first half, but Vernon Adams did lead a couple of scoring drives. Completes to Justin McKinnis, and that led to a third field goal for the veteran Sean White. He went three for three in the half. This one from 45 yards out. He is so consistent. 9-0 BC at halftime. More from Sean White early in the third quarter, this time from 51 yards out, heading right. But look at that, banks it in off the upright and through. He's 4 for 4, 12-0 BC. Late third, Lions driving, finally get into the end zone. Adams thrown it high and lets 6'4", Dominic Rimes go get it. Leaping catch, touchdown for the Lions. Third TD of the year in uh, just a couple of games for Rimes. 19-0 at that point. 22-0. You'd expect a guy like Rhymes would have a big game when LL Cool J is there. See, I just threw that in. Third round U.S. Open from L.A. Country Club. Adam Hadwin of Abbotsford did make the cut and played alongside John Rahm today. Former U.S. Open champ, but tough day for Adam. Tee shot on the par three ninth, finds the bunker. No birdies today for Hadwin. Four over 74. He's tied for 56th at plus six. Surrey's Adam Svensson also playing the weekend. Got off to a good start. Long birdie putt here at three. Bends it in, but fell apart after that. Seven over 77 for Svensson. He's tied 61st at plus eight. 
Brooks Kepka has won five majors, including two US, uh, US Opens out of the bunker here. And that's going to go in for a birdie. Kepka got it to three under at one point that finished his round at even, so he is too far back to win this time. Rory McIlroy started the day just two behind leader Ricky Fowler. Rory on the third, bends it in for birdie. He's tied for the lead at 10 under. Rory, the 2011 U.S. Open champ, but he has not won a major in nine years. Amongst the star-studded leaderboard, though, American Wyndham Clark just got his first tour win last month, takes the lead with the birdie at three, but Ricky Fowler continues his birdie barrage. He had 18 birdies in his first two rounds uh, this week. That's a U.S. Open record. Today, he got one at the first and another from 36 feet at seven. Not a bad two at the 277-yard par three. Fowler at 10 under, just one back of Wyndham Clark. Harris English also in the mix. This birdie got him to 10 under, tied second, one back of Clark. But this course gets difficult on the back nine. Ricky Fowler from the deep rough, second shot on the par three. That's beautifully done, and he just made a big birdie to take the lead. So Ricky leads by two at 11 under, two-shot lead on Wyndham Clark, three on Rory McIlroy. They still have a few holes to go in L.A. tonight. Canadian Grand Prix this weekend from Montreal, where it was cloudy, and then it started raining during the uh, qualifying soggy conditions but uh, no matter the conditions you can almost count on Max Verstappen winning the pole or winning the race and the Dutchman did it again today Verstappen wins the pole by 1.2 seconds over Nico Hulkenberg Fernando Alonso is third and Alonso's Aston Martin teammate Montreal's Lance Stroll will start 13th Baseball today, Blue Jays taking on the American League West leading Texas Rangers. Jays were up, but the Rangers take the lead in the second. Big Josh Young takes Trevor Richards to right. A missile over the right center field fence. 2-1 Texas on that two-run shot. Jays got one back. Dalton Varsho, whose power is starting to come around, turns on one here. A solo homer to right. That's his 12th. Cuts the lead to 3-2. Still 3-2 in the seventh. Corey Seager, though, gives the Rangers some insurance, rips a solo shot off Jimmy Garcia. Rangers win at 4-2. Jays are 39-33, and 33, but are finishing up their most difficult stretch of their schedule, taking on, it seems, all the top teams in baseball over the past six weeks or so. And we'll finish with some Canadian Premier League soccer. Vancouver FC in Ottawa uh, taking on Atletico. Ninth minute, home team got the jump. Initial shot blocked by a... Vancouver defender, but Atletico stick with it, and Samuel Salter will curl it inside the post. 1-0 Atletico. Vancouver FC have had trouble scoring goals, just eight and nine matches. They come close here. Gail Sandoval with the free kick, but just misses, and Vancouver lose 1-0. They are last in the Premier League, just one win in their first 10 matches. And tomorrow, big match in Vegas between Canada in the USA for the CONCACAF uh, trophy, I believe it's called. So we'll have highlights of that yeah, tomorrow. A big one, for sure. Mm -hmm. We'll watch for that. Thanks, Perry. Right. Well, still to come, uh, look at how fathers are being celebrated this weekend with traditional song and dance. Families across Canada are celebrating the role of grandfathers, fathers and sons this weekend. And that includes two special gatherings in B.C. in Vancouver and Williams Lake today with the return of Father's Day powwows. Here's Travis Prasad. The grand entry marks the beginning of the Father's Day powwow on the traditional territory of the Williams Lake First Nation. Song and dance are the essence of the event. Seven traditional dances will be performed over the weekend. 
Beyond the intricacy of the dancer's vibrant regalia lies deep cultural meaning. Each outfit and every movement tells an important story. The powwow creates a space for Indigenous people to celebrate and honour long-standing traditions and for non-Indigenous people to connect with the culture. Vendors are offering up Indigenous food and goods. BC Premier David Eby is on hand. Seeing so many kids out there uh, uh, celebrating in this Father's Day powwow, it just reminds me of the importance of family uh, and how important it is for us all to get out as, as dads and as families to celebrate. Meanwhile, in Vancouver, the Aboriginal Health Society is hosting its first annual Father's Day powwow at the Britannia Community Centre field. A weekend of festivities, months in the making. Everyone's been really excited for preparing for the powwow and getting, we have a bunch of families and elders who will be dancing and have regalia for the first time at this powwow. Organizers say this event is about celebrating Indigenous identity while rebuilding traditional family systems. We're dancing for the grandfathers, you know, the uncles, the brothers, you know, the nephews, and, and just for the community as well to reclaim culture. Powwows in both Williams Lake and Vancouver will continue into the afternoon on Father's Day. Everyone is welcome. Travis Prasad, Global News. Incredible display of song, dance, and a lot of kids. color. Yeah. yeah, beautiful. Yeah, very, very much so. Uh, Yvonne, tomorrow, how's it looking for <laughs> Father's Day? A bit unsettled, but actually, I'm hoping that we'll see a few breaks in there. A bit of a breeze for areas that are closer to the water, up to 30 kilometers per hour. So, hoping for a few breaks, but be prepared for a chance for some showers. Cool, unsettled Monday, Tuesday, summer solstice on Wednesday. We're hoping to rebound sunny with a high of 20. Looking forward to it. Well, that's all the time we have. Thanks so much for watching. We'll see you back here at 11. Thanks, have a good night.